You know, you talk about the situations that you can escape or, you know, security issues. And one of the main points in this story that you have to wear, you know, this blue jacket and blue helmet and you have to look like soldier, but Russians don't care. Because, for example, in the start of this summer with colleagues of mine, we were in Kherson and we were under the huge shelling on the evacuation point. Hello and welcome to Covering Ukraine. I'm Oksana Mamchenkova, your host and the Kyiv-based coordinator for the Europe-Ukraine Desk. You're listening to the sixth episode dedicated to our media hub. It gathered professional journalists for a panel discussion in Kyiv last September. Ukrainian and international journalists shared their experience and discussed new challenges, which they faced during their working in Ukraine. You just heard Stas Kozluk, a Ukrainian freelance journalist, photographer, and sometimes fixer for foreign journalists. And this is the beginning of a conversation that raises many issues, such as security regulations, problems of access for journalists, the work of fixers, and competition between large and small media outlets, which ultimately leads to the main question, the issue of objectivity. Perhaps the most important challenge for any journalist in a war is the risk of losing his or her life. And this is tackled by Roman Holovenko, a lawyer for the Institute of Mass Information. Uh, according to uh, data of the uh, Institute of Mass Information, uh, 10 journalists have been murdered or mortally wounded uh, during uh, their uh, work. I mean, when uh, in the case when they are uh, acting as a journalist or going to working place or from working place or to some location from some location. And uh, 13 journalists have been killed in Ukraine, uh, not during their work, but have been killed as uh, civilians. And uh, I mean, practicing journalists, people whose main uh, occupation is uh, journalism, was journalism. And uh, about the 60 persons uh, who have died as uh, combatants who have been uh, journalists in the past and uh, have, uh, were going to military and uh, died in the front lines or, or in the hospitals. One challenge journalists face when covering news at the front line is they are embedded with the army and can become a target. As a Ukrainian journalist and also head of the International Department and the Ukrainian Crisis Media Center, Tetyana Ogarkova, who moderates this panel, asks, If a journalist is wearing the word press, does this offer protection? Stefan Sion, correspondent for the French daily Libération, answers. He has been working in Ukraine since 2013. I think that there are really different cases it depends where you are where you are working how far you are from the front line if you are close to uh, ukrainian uh, soldiers not close to them if you are um, if you are if you can be identified by by the opposite side by by russian soldiers i think that there are some some situation when having a journalist patch can actually uh, save you can help you because uh, some combatants will just know that you are not a soldier and then when they when it's about taking a decision about how to act with this uh, human person in front of you they can take the decision not to shoot on you because you're a journalist 
I mean, there are some rules that you have to obey in order to be as much as possible identified as a journalist. But we now understand that there are some cases when uh, some parties to this war, and I will name it the Russians, absolutely don't care about it. There is a case of Max. Uh, we know also cases uh, of places where it was obvious that journalists were in these places and they've been shot at by artillery. Um, so we understand that for uh, some parts of the Russian military, life of journalists doesn't count. But to be, to be really honest, I have the impression that when you, are, when you as a journalist take the responsibility to go in such a place close to, the, to a front line, you enter a death zone. And no matter who you are, no matter if you are a humanitarian worker, if you are saving people, if you're a journalist, if you're a soldier, if you're a paramedic, you are entering a place where something can fall from the sky on you or next to you. And um, then if, you're, if you have a patch or not a patch, it doesn't matter anymore. But we also need to understand that we journalists take our responsibility when we enter a place like this. Stas Kozlyuk, Ukrainian freelancer, adds. Maybe I, I add uh, only one thing, that these helmets and jackets, blue helmets and blue jackets and patches press, protect you from Ukrainian soldiers, to be honest. Especially in the first, very first weeks, because everyone was so nervous and they can shoot you before start asking the questions. That's why you need it. The work of Stas Kozlyuk as a local fixer is risky and insecure. Hundreds of fixers currently working in Ukraine do not have legal status for most international media outlets. This often means no security, no recognition, and no guarantee of payment. Stefan Sion again shares his personal experience of working with Ukrainian fixers for foreign media. I have to say that most of the media who are publishing some content about this war absolutely don't care about fixers. Why? I'm working for a newspaper, Libération, which is a serious French newspaper, but French media don't have staff correspondence in Ukraine. So technically, I'm a freelancer and I'm also working for other media in Belgium and Switzerland. They never ask me with whom I'm working. Most of the time, it happens that I work with a fixer. Most of the time, I don't work with a fixer. I go to some places. I mean, you, you, you know, I speak rather good Russian. I'm learning Ukrainian. I'm not fluent at all in Ukrainian, but I can go to some places in Eastern Ukraine and speaking Russian is more than enough. So sometimes I go without fixers, but also sometimes when I need to, when I need to work quicker, I work with a fixer. But the media I'm working for were commissioning my articles absolutely don't care with whom I'm working, but also don't propose any security net, uh, security net for the people I'm working with because fix fixers in Ukraine are more important than ever. A lot of journalists were coming to cover uh, the early stage of the war in Donbass were specialists from Eastern Europe. And a lot of them spoke Russian and could actually work in, in Donbass. Of course, we needed fixers to access to some places to, to get uh, quicker To, to, to the informations. But now this war is so massively covered since the full-scale invasion that a lot of reporters are coming from different parts of the world and they, they are coming to Ukraine and to Eastern Europe for the first time. And they don't speak Ukrainian, they don't speak Russian. 
Um, they don't know the context. So fixers have become absolutely instrumental. And me would read about Ukraine for 15 years, 20 years. Uh, I feel even when I read when there is a more important creative input of the fixer than from the journalist himself. And, and it, it happens very, very often. And the fixers are now at the core of the coverage of this war. But there are big problems because a lot of mass media in Europe, in America, don't count uh, fixers in the equation. So if something happens to me, and if something happens to the fixer I'm working with, my media don't have any provision on what's going to happen to to the fixer. I'm I'm, I'm sorry, but it, but it, but it's like this, and I'm basically paying fixers on my own revenue. Sometimes I manage to to get reimbursed as costs, not all the time. Um, but indeed, there is for me a problem of professional relation between Ukrainian media professional work as fixers and international media companies. Another big issue I'd like to discuss today this is issue about access, access to territories, access for uh, Ukrainian media and for international media. This is Tetyana Ongarkova, Ukrainian journalist who is also in charge of international outreach at Ukrainian Crisis Media Center. Why this is a big issue? Because uh, during the war, it's quite clear that during the war, there's limited access to some kind of uh, territories because of military operations. But at the same time, media, both Ukrainian and international, they need access in order to tell what is happening and not only telling this propaganda narrative. So, and we still have some issues, some complaints about some limits of access. So, Stefan, what are your takeaways from your experience about the access? Access is the, the key to, to our work. We need to go to some places to report and tell about uh, what's happening. So, of course, uh, a journalist needs as much access and sources as possible. And you always try to, to have more than, than, than what you have. At the same time, we are operating here in a um, geographical reality when some places which were uh, peaceful places suddenly become uh, death zones, as I say, said before. Um, so there is a balance to find between what you need, the place where you need to go to bring your story back and um, how far you should go to actually come back and not come back in a black bag. Is that if we, if we are talking about access from both sides of the front lines, the access is absolutely huge in Ukraine. And I don't think that there is the same access on the other side. The Ukrainian authorities leave a lot of access and they have given accreditation to 15,000 media professionals since the beginning of the full-scale invasion. So the access is there. It's possible to work in Ukraine, in Kiev, and in different parts of, uh, of the front lines. Now, there, there are some questions, because during combat actions, during operations, like the counter-offensive now, it's not possible to access to places close to the zero line. 
And some journalists are complaining about it because there are some who actually want to go there. And especially visual journalists, people who do photographies, people who, who do video. And those people need to document as close as possible. And they want to, to get to get close. And it's sometimes not possible. I think that the access that journalists have in Ukraine is absolutely reasonable. There is a possibility to document this war. But I also accept as a professional that there are some places where it's impossible to go. Why? It's because uh, if I go now in the south of uh, Robotine as a journalist, there is a big risk that I'm not going to come back. But there is also a big risk that if I go there with some military press officers, I put the life of other people in danger and the soldiers themselves. So I accept these limitations and that sometimes there are some places where you cannot go. Access to work for independent journalists is also affected by unfair competition between large and small media outlets. Oksana Leuta is a fixer for French media. For me as a fixer, the, the most uh, difficult thing is when there is an official ban on the access somewhere and the very big and nice explanations by the officials why you can't go there. And I take time to explain this to my journalist team. And then in two days, you see the reports from there by someone, uh, someone else, like by, by bigger medias. And I personally hate this. I, I don't like it. Stefan Sion. The problem in Ukraine is that it's a Ukrainian problem. There are some rules, but the rules don't apply for everyone in the same way. I think it's, it's an eternal Ukrainian problem. There are some places where media are banned. And then you find out that some big American newspapers got the authorization to, to go there. Because you understand that for the Ukrainian authorities or the military, yes, it's important to communicate with CNN or the New York Times because it's big audiences and you can communicate with American audiences and decision makers. But uh, it's really a problem when you work on the ground. You are uh, really trying to, to get the information. You get some bans and then some colleagues have the access. Cases of unacceptable behavior by journalists themselves also contribute to this, says Stas Kozluk. If we're talking about people on the ground, about people on the ground, about soldiers, uh, they prefer, I don't know about nowadays, but few months before, they prefer uh, Ukrainians. And there is only one reason. Uh, because Ukrainians are locals and they understand the context, they understand the rules, and they understand the situation. For example, if a press officer told you that you cannot make picture of this mortar, for example, with some trees on the background, because Russians can't understand when this mortar standing and where the position of Ukrainian soldiers standing, that's a problem, and you understand it, and you try to make a picture without some uh, geolocation, because the problem is the soldiers' lives. Because you will arrive, you make some story, and you will gone. But soldiers will stay. And uh, that's your response. Because if you make some stupid things, they will be injured or killed. And that's why soldiers hated journalists, especially foreigners, because, you know, it's hard to explain. Uh, why you cannot do this or that for foreigners, because they have a lot of experience with war, wars, uh, I don't know, on the Middle East, on Afghanistan, and they continue thinking that that's war in Ukraine the same, but that's not true. 
because this is the different war with different scale of aggression and different scale of using weapons. And you always have to think about security, your security and security of soldiers that give you permission and give you access to this location. Yeah, I, I, I think that generally the journalists who come to cover this war from abroad are in, in majority quite professional. But I also observed some uh, non-acceptable behaviors in terms of uh, security. Stefan Sion. In July, I was supposed to go with a colleague of mine to a stabilization point, a field hospital in near the front line in Zaporizhia region. And uh, just a few hours before going there, the access was canceled. And actually, a team of American journalists went there on the day before and didn't switch off their geolocalization. And this stabilization point was heavily bombed and there were casualties. So we have journalists who don't respect the rules. Uh, we have journalists who publish photos on social networks right after they've been, they've been in a place. Tetiana Ongarkova from the Ukraine Crisis Media Center. I'll tell you another story, uh, which I will also travel a lot in, uh, in the frontline zone uh, as civilians, as volunteers. And uh, I remember, and we were, we were traveling with our own car, and normally we have very easy access to any kind of um, uh, zones because we are bringing cars for military. And it happened to us many times to have a foreign a foreigner in our car. They were uh, looking around, our friends, they were looking around, they were taking photos, but they never published what they what they did, stating that normally as, a, as an international journalist, they had no right to be there. This is precisely why all what they saw, all what they filmed, even sometimes they were not filming, they were not publishing, stating that it, it would be against the kind of ethics of publishing what you were not allowed to, serve, uh, to, to film officially. So this is an important um, point you are making about this behavior, which are dangerous for both Ukrainian side and these professionals, these journalists for, the, for their career, because if you are caught doing that, you could, be, could lose your career simply. Roman, you as a lawyer, what are your comments on, on that? So is there any kind of formal responsibility for filming, I mean, for filming or for publishing things, I don't know, less than three hours after missile strike or whatever, all these consensus things we all know, but if there is an, an friction to this law, what, what could happen legally? At first, you will be under investigation uh, uh, about uh, whether you have some ties with Russia or maybe you are a Russian agent. Uh, uh, it depends. Uh, if you uh, are a journalist, not very qualified journalist and so on, I don't think that uh, it will be quite uh, a criminal uh, responsibility, but uh, you will be, uh, we will have problems with accreditation, it's truly. And uh, also it, it depends uh, because there is difference in military targets and uh, civilians after sharing. And uh, in fact, if you have If there was uh, much discussion, much noise about this uh, case, it may be more problematic because, if you know, you are uh, all of you are using social media and you uh, can watch in the social media a lot of uh, places which have been shelled. And, uh, you, you know, a, a lot of uh, Telegram channels uh, are absolutely 
they are incognito, yes? You, you uh, are not aware who is the owner, who are the journalists of this uh, Uh, of this TV channel, and uh, there are quite big and uh, smaller TV channels. And uh, in case of uh, big uh, Telegram channels and social media, I think the government is trying to communicate at least and to regulate the issue formally or informally. But uh, you know the rules, there are restrictions for publishing pictures after the sharing. And uh, it doesn't matter whether you're a journalist or a private person, it doesn't matter. Maybe the last question I would la- I'd like to ask all of you, which seems to me to be a fun- one of the fundamental questions of this war, and journalism. And this is a question about objectivity, about neutrality. Why is this important? Because before being a journalist, we Ukrainians... We are citizens, so we are not uh, objective in a way. So, yeah, for us, it's important. It's a job. It's a profession. It's, uh, it's a way how we earn money. But at the same time, uh, what is maybe the, the dearest will for all of us is the victory. So we are not objective in a way sometimes could be. And I'd like each of you to, to make a point on this a point of objectivity. Could we be really objective being a journalist during the war? Stas Kozluk. That's the story. When I read a lot of articles from foreigners, I saw this checkbox of objectivity. Because they give, for example, the same numbers of characters in the say, or, for example, the same time on a video for equalizing both sides. But the story is that it, you try to equalize the truth and the propaganda. Because you always have to remember, when you try to make interview, Uh, like some famous United States media, when you try to make some interview, for example, with Oleg Tsaryov, you have to understand that that guy will give you information that, uh, you know, it's information not from Oleg Tsaryov, that's information from the Kremlin, and you have to understand it. And if you're making the story like this, you have to give the context And you have to check, you always have to check the words of your speakers, but you cannot give only codes of Tsaryov, for example, or I don't know. I have the story, I worked with some TV channel and they want to make um, the live stream of uh, self-proclaimed republic's leaders. And I try to explain them that, for example, you don't give the live stream of head of Al-Qaeda because... Uh, That guy a is a terrorist, he's a criminal, and that's why you cannot give the live stream of that guy, because you have to give the context and you have to give the checks of his words. That's the one story. And another story that, for example, a lot of foreigner journalists ask me about the war crimes from both sides, for example, like torturing of prisoners of war. And you're trying to explain that, yeah, sure, you can make the stories about Ukrainians and Russian soldiers, but the story is that you try to equalize and tell that Ukrainians making the same things like Russians, but the story is about the system. For example, if we're talking about war crimes of Russian soldiers, is it system or not? If you try to talk about uh, crimes of Ukrainian soldiers, is it system or not? And what the... You know, what the results of these war crimes and, you know, investigations and jails or whatever. And it's the huge, complicated story and you have to remember it. And uh, if you're doing 
job on this way, yeah, sure, you can be you can be objective. Roman Holovenko. Uh, I would like to say that it is quite a complicated question because uh, for the first there is the problem of perception and uh, Ukrainian journalists, I think, uh, in many cases, are perceptors that uh, uh, not as a neutral uh, like uh, Russians because they are citizens of their countries. And uh, this is the type of uh, human nature and uh, per- perception we are not able to do something with it. Uh, but we, we should try. And uh, talking about the balance, uh, I think the problem may be solved with the experts, independent, real experts, to command one position and the other. And uh, But the practical problem is to find such an expert. And uh, also objectivity is not limited to balance. Uh, it's also the question to uh, whether to publish some information or not. And uh, today it may be, you, you may think that uh, you are comparing pros and cons and uh, pros looks bigger right now, yes. But uh, after the half a year uh, later, you may see that uh, the situation has changed significantly and uh, cons are bigger and maybe it was better to publish or, or not to publish such information. And uh, it's a big dilemma and uh, I think... Uh, It's not the question to a single journalist. This problem should be communicated and discussed in the editorial offices. And you have no time to discuss, but uh, it should be. I think it should be because uh, we are losing quality. After this discussion, the audience takes the opportunity to ask questions. Hi, good evening. My name is Sergei Hrytsenko, and I'm here in the capacity as a media analyst and uh, information resilience expert. I personally believe, honestly, that uh, supporting uh, journalism, high-quality journalism, and promoting fact-based, verified information about Russian aggression is really a key condition for ensuring Ukraine's victory in this war which affects democracies worldwide. But I would like to use the opportunity of having this panel. Uh, What do we do more, in your opinion, to counter Western journalism who come to Ukraine and report from Russian sides? Can we call them journalists? And I can quote a number of uh, episodes that uh, our media community exposed, most recently from France, There is a channel, I don't know how popular it is, Stefan, but it's called TF1. This is the biggest French television. Exactly. And with my friend here, we are, we are just checking. One of the episodes uh, reached over 300,000 views. And the episode was about seven minutes reporting from the other side, not mentioning that Russia is an aggressor, nothing about Ukrainians fighting for their country, On the contrary, a journalist was quoting Russian soldiers saying how prepared they are to withstand Ukrainian counteroffensive. We understand the reason why it was done. But I want to ask you as professionals in this field, what do we need to do more to withstand this? Thank you. Stefan Sjohan. What is a war? A war is a story of uh, violence and pain in general like all wars. For me, there are two problems in the questions that you're 
putting on the table right now. Um, the first one is, I think that a lot of media haven't yet grabbed the essence of this war. I think, and I do agree with Professor Timothy Snyder, who was yesterday at the Pen Club, that this is a genocidal war. This war crosses, ticks all the boxes of a genocidal war. But only people like Timothy Snyder, who is an historian of the Shoah, can tell it, because media are absolutely not able to grab the dimension of this war, because there is a sort of Hitler-Godwin point. We haven't seen concentration camps. We haven't seen Auschwitz. This is a temporality of media. They, 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 they are totally short-sighted. And they consider that this war is kind of similar to other conflicts which have been covered over the past 30 years. So a lot of journalists are applying the same methodology, the same grids of analysis to the war in Ukraine as to other wars which have happened. But sorry, this is not the same war as Karabakh. This is not the same war as Syria. This is not the same war as Yugoslavia. And in the media practice, there is a, a tendency to um, distantiate yourself from violence. But all the reporting look, looks alike. It looks, it looks a little bit the same. And I personally think that the coverage of this war will gain into quality if we will take into account emotions and subjectivity. And subjectivity is not the contrary of uh, high professional standards. And I think that journalism shouldn't be afraid of emotions, of pains, of violence, of sharing deep emotions. I'm also very happy and I'm very proud that my newspaper, uh, Liberation, was one of the first ones to take as a regular reporter, Kristina Berdinsky, a famous Ukrainian reporter, uh, because it's also a big taboo for uh, European media to make Ukrainian journalists work. The standards of journalism are very high here, are very good. Why there are no Ukrainian voices in Western media? Because Ukrainian journalists would write the story in another way, because it's their place. And maybe we would have a different journalism, something more colorful, more emotional. And I don't think you can understand what's happening here if you don't share a little part of the emotions of the people who are living here. I think that, yes, it's possible to work in those places, but every media company who takes this responsibility should have a very strong ethical and professional reflections about how they are operating, about what is the outcome, how does the production looks like, does it fit to ethical standards? And also, do you commit yourself with some uh, people you shouldn't be working with? Thank you for listening to this episode of Covering Ukraine. My name is Oksana Mamchenkova, and I'm the Kyiv-based coordinator for the Europe-Ukraine desk. Luba Hook edited, sound designed, and mixed this episode. The views expressed by the panelists are their own, and do not necessarily reflect the views of the organization they work for, nor an OST or the European Commission who funded this project. The podcast covering Ukraine was created as a part of the Europe-Ukraine Desk, a program that aims at building bridges between journalists from the EU and Ukrainian journalists. You can get in touch with us at eud.anost.org. It is in the description of the episode. Maybe consider telling a friend about this show if you liked it. We will come back soon. Until then, take care and thanks for listening.